praise God and welcome to Genesis One Christian Ministries and another podcast on this uh, wonderful Sunday. And before we get into the message, let's just listen to a song. And as you listen to the song and you really listen to the words and let Holy Spirit minister to you, uh, because there are some very powerful words um, in this song and things we need to think about uh, as we move forward in our lives. Praise God. Thank you. 
Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Dear Heavenly Father, most awesome and wonderful Lord, King of kings and Lord of lords, we just praise your most magnificent name, Lord. And I thank you for this opportunity for us to be able to gather together, even though it is virtually, Lord, because we know that your word is not constrained by space or time, Lord, and there's no walls that your words cannot penetrate. So even though we're not gathered together in a physical building, Lord, we know that your word can stretch across the globe and could reach whoever is listening and whoever is needing to hear your word. I ask, Lord, that you would prepare our hearts and minds, Lord, to receive the words that are going to be coming forth today, Lord, and let them get deeply rooted within our spirit so that when the evil one comes to try to attack, that we don't have to think about the words that we need to say, and that they just come bubbling up from our spirit so that we can defeat him. We praise you. We love you. Love you, Lord. And I thank you for this opportunity to serve you, Lord. These things I pray in the master's name of Jesus Christ. Amen and amen and amen. Well, praise God, everyone. Um, it's so awesome to be able to have this wonderful technology that allows us to continue to hear God's word, even though that we don't have a you know physical building that we can go into uh, at this point in time because of the coronavirus. Uh, and so it's just awesome how God puts inspiration in the hearts of so many people to come up with these ways to record sermons and get them out there for everybody to hear. Uh, and so before we get into the word, make sure you take a moment and grab your grab your Bible. Um, you know, in this ministry here, Genesis one, we don't preach anything without referring to the word of God and going to scripture. So grab your Bible um, so you can follow along with us. And we're going to jump right into some scripture here today. So turn in your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter six, verse one. Deuteronomy chapter six, verse one. We're going to jump right into scripture and talk about uh, talk about some important things um, that we need to keep in mind as as we move forward in our lives. And as we figure out what this new normal, if you will, is going to look like uh, or, and what it's been looking like so far with this virus around and, you know, as as this virus uh, as, as states start to open up and try to get back to normal. Deuteronomy 6, verse 1. Now, this is the commandment, and these are the statutes and the judgments which the Lord your God has commanded to teach you, that you may observe them in the land which you are crossing over to possess, that you may fear the Lord your God to keep all his statutes and his commandments which I command you, you and your son and your grandson, all the days of your life, and that your days may be prolonged, Therefore, hear, O Israel, and be careful to observe it, that you may be well, that it may be well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord God of your, as the Lord God of your fathers has promised you, a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And these words which I command you today, shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. A lot of scripture there, and we are going to break down several of those scriptures. But if you look at those scriptures, they're really centered around three main themes, if you will. 
loving the Lord your God with everything that you have in you. Teaching God's statutes to your children. And observing all of God's statutes. If you look at current events, you see that there are governors and leaders around the nation that are wanting to reopen their states. The president is talking about reopening the economy and there's all these plans in different phases uh, that the, the nation's leaders are coming up with to try to get things back on track to be back to normal, being, you know, pre coronavirus. And you hear the experts always talking about that. Yes, we need to be careful when we reopen the economy. Uh, they're talking about continuing on with social distancing practices, uh, even after things, you know, start to start to get back to, to normal so that this virus doesn't come back and so that we don't we don't spread it. But there's also something else that we have to be careful of that doesn't happen. That's happening right now. And that is. Because we are at home listening to sermons, because we are in the comfort of our homes, you know, watching a televangelist and because we're not physically going to a church, we have to be careful that that does not become the new normal. And what I mean by that is I'm not saying that you should be and, and, and that pastor should just be flooding, opening up the doors to their churches and having everybody just flood in. We, we have to use some wisdom. God expects us to use wisdom as we're making decisions. OK, and so I'm not saying, you know, pastors go out there and just start opening up churches and letting everybody come in, sitting shoulder to shoulder like you normally would on Sunday. No, I'm not saying that at all. God doesn't want us to be foolish. But what I'm saying is we can't get complacent, complacent and think that. We are going to continue to grow in our walk with God when churches reopen if we decide not to go back to church. Let's face it, it's so much easier to wake up in the morning, you know, put on some sweatpants, sit down on a comfortable chair, a comfortable couch, turn on uh, a podcast or, or whatever you do to have church services. It's a lot easier to do that than it is to actually wake up, eat breakfast, get ready, get the kids ready if you have kids. Hop in the car, drive who knows how long you normally drive to commute to church, fellowship with people, sit down in a pew for a service, uh, listening to somebody talk, you know, for 45 minutes to an hour or however long the service is. And some chairs that may not be that comfortable and then hop in the car and on the way home, try to figure out all right, what am I going to do for lunch? What are we going to eat? Where are we going to go? And all those things. That's that's hard to do. That's why so many people on Sundays don't go to church. They will do all so many things Monday through Saturday and then use Sunday as a rest day and they sleep in on Sundays and they don't get up and go to church. So we have to be careful that we don't become complacent because we're listening to services at home that when things start to get back to normal, that we choose not to go to church, that we choose to just stay at home and think that, oh, I can just stay home and I'll get the same level of fellowship and 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 and, and um um, uh, God's message just by staying at home. Jesus said, forsake not together the gathering together of yourselves. All right. There's a reason for it. And I won't get into, um, uh, into that scripture. That's a whole separate sermon in and of itself talking about the importance of fellowshipping with other Christians, but we have to make sure we don't get complacent and, and make a choice not to go back to church when we are able to, when we are able to do so. So today we're going to be talking about making sure that we do not get complacent. 
And scriptures here in, in Deuteronomy, here, as we start to do a, a little bit of a deeper dive there, notice in verse one. Now, this is the commandment that and these are the statutes and judgments which the Lord your God has commanded to teach you that you may observe them in the land which you are crossing over to possess. There are so many of us that are uh, are are. are transitioning and, and wanting to cross over, if you will, to possess a land that God has for us. That land doesn't necessarily mean it's a physical move, but it could be um, a situation being taken care of. Maybe it's a promotion that you're looking for. Um, maybe, it, God forbid, if you're one of the people that, that, that doesn't have a job right now, that new land could be to be reemployed, all right, to make it back into the, into, into the workforce. Maybe it is a physical move from, you know, may, uh, maybe from the house that you're in now to another house. Maybe it's a, a move from a city to another city or to another state um, or, or, or something like that. Whatever it is that God has in store for you, that is a land that, 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 that you're, you're crossing over to possess. And during that time, okay, we have to make sure that we are still observing and not becoming complacent and being comfortable with where we are. And that we're observing God's statutes, the things that he is teaching us so that when we get over to that new land, that we don't forget all the things that God has taught us. OK, and that happens, unfortunately, quite often in the lives of Christians. We get comfortable with where we are and we don't challenge ourselves to be uh, to be better Christians and to be better people. And we just kind of stay where we are. We are comfortable with staying at home, listening to a service. And we may not want to get up and actually go to church when we are able to and when things are safe. OK, that's being complacent. We don't want to we don't want to be that way. OK. And as you see, as, as the Bible says here, the Lord God has commanded you, commanded to teach you that you may observe them in the land which you are crossing over to possess. So underline all of that there, uh, that you may observe them in the land which you are crossing over to to possess. Picking up in verse two there that you may fear the Lord your God to keep all his statutes, underline all, all his statutes and commandments, which I command you, you and your son and your grandson all the days of your life that your days may be prolonged. Think about that for a second there. All the days of your life and that your days may be prolonged. Science will tell you that the key to a long life is. Less stress, eating the right foods, exercising, you know, was it at least three times a week for 30, 30 minutes a day or something like that. And while those things certainly can help you from a physical perspective and help your physical body, you still have to feed your spiritual body. And obedience to God is the best way that you can feed your spiritual body. And obedience to God, is, as, as we see in here, is following his statutes. OK, the things that, that, that he's teaching us is following those and not forgetting about those. That's how you add more days to your life. That also is a way to reduce stress in your life. Everybody feels stress. All right. It's how you react to the stress that makes a difference. Everybody faces challenges. How you react to those challenges is what, make, is what makes the difference. And so if you have God at the center of your life and you're keeping his commandments and his statutes, when those things come up, you will respond accordingly, which then in turn doesn't have as much of a physical impact on your body or has much of an impact on your physical body. OK. All the days of your life and, and that your days may be prolonged. 
Verse three, therefore, hear, O Israel, and be careful to observe it, that it might be well with you and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord God of your fathers has promised you a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord, our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord, your God, with all your heart, underline all your heart, with all your soul, underline with all your soul and with all your strength, underline with all your strength. When you if you were to change that and take out the word all and put some. okay. so let's say this said love the Lord your God with some of your heart, with some of your soul and with some of your strength. What that means is that you're not committed to God. You're not committed to following God, but you have an interest in following God. And the difference between interest and commitment is simply this. Interest means I will do something as long as it is convenient to me. Commitment is no matter what happens, I am going to follow through whatever with whatever it, with, with with whatever it was I said I was going to do. If I am interested in a job. Then I'm going to look at it. I'm, I'm going to uh, maybe ask some people about the job. I may do some research about the job online, like what does it take to do this and do that? But if I'm committed to the job, then I'm going to give 100 percent to that job at all times, no matter how challenging it might be, no matter how difficult it might be, no matter what kind of people I have to deal with, no matter how challenging projects might be or how political something might be. I'm going to give everything I've got towards it. This is what this scripture is meaning when it says you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your strength. It is committing to God, committing to God. If I'm interested in something, then I become comfortable and I stay where I'm at. If I'm committed to something, then I want to stretch and I want to grow and I don't become stagnant. If you think about an athlete, okay, the superstar athletes, one of the things that they will always tell you is that they are committed to what they do. They are committed to the game. That is why they spend hours and hours a day working out and eating right and and watching uh, a, a film of the games and, and 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 talking with with other players and their coaches and and reading over the strategies to 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 beat different teams and studying their opponents. It's because they have that commitment. If they were just interested in it, then they would do the bare minimum. So in order for us to not be complacent, we have to understand we have to be willing to give everything, everything to God. Okay, give all of ourselves, all of ourselves to him and he will in turn do the same for us. Verse six. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk to them and talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontless between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. So in other words, what this is saying is a few things is is uh, for those of us that have children, you have to teach these things to your children. Your children are not going to learn about God at an early age if you don't teach them. We become complacent. When we give the ownership over to somebody else 
to teach us or teach our kids about who God is. And what he's all about and build that relationship with him. We cannot do that. We have to take the same way that you take ownership over learning your job. Or learning a hobby. You put that responsibility on your back and on your shoulders. That's the same thing we have to do when it comes to God. We have to put the responsibility for learning about God on our shoulders so that we go out and we actually seek him. We have to put the responsibility of teaching our kids about God so that they learn how to go and seek him. And we have to put the responsibility on our shoulders as well to teach others about God as Holy Spirit guides us. As Holy Spirit allows us and directs us and, and points us. We cannot just say, you know what? The only time I'm going to learn about God is when I go to church on Sunday. Because I can tell you right now. The devil is operating 24 seven. So if you think that somehow you're going to get um, uh, have enough. Enough weapons, if you will, to battle the enemy. Monday through Saturday, just by going to church on Sunday, you are sorely mistaken because the devil does not stop. So we need to be seeking God at all times when we lay down and uh, when we when we lay down and when we rise up. The verse nine, they were said, you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. What this is meaning is that in your household, this is the, 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 the statutes and, and, and direction that God has give, given and his commandments. That should be uh, the thing that is guiding your household. OK. Fellas, if you're married okay, and you got a wife and you've got kids, God's commandments should be guiding you on how you construct and and and. Um, uh, I don't want to say rule over your household, but uh, how you lead your household, how you how you govern your household, how you guide those in your household should be based off of God's commandments. Anybody out there that is single. Right. So if you're you're not married and you're living, you're living by yourself, then that means you are the head of the household and God's commandments should be guiding what you do in your household. Okay, How you interact with friends that come in, in into your household. What you watch on TV, the music that you listen to, all of those things is, is what should be guiding uh, our households. Christianity is a way of life. Following God is a way of life. The word Christianity simply means uh, or the word Christian simply means follower of Christ. So if we're followers of Christ, then that means we have to we have to use it as a way of life. It's not a badge or a piece of clothing that you put on when you feel like it. It's not something that you look through in your closet and say, hmm, am I going to put on Christianity today? No, I don't think. No, I don't think I will. I wore it yesterday. I'm not going to wear it today. That's not what following God is about. It's a way of life. It's a commitment to follow God's direction no matter what. It's a commitment to model your life as best as you can to that of Jesus Christ. And as I said earlier, we have to take ownership of learning about God the same way we take ownership and learning about other things. Yes, God appoints pastors and ministers and preachers and elders to 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 deliver uh, um, his word in a formal in a formal setting, if you want a formalized um, uh, approach. OK. 
But don't think that for one minute that the person is the one that's teaching you about God. That individual is just sharing um, is sharing what, what God put on their heart. The learning happens is when you take that and you start talking to God about it, when it starts to get into your into your spirit. Too many times people will sit in a church and they will buy hook, line and sinker. Everything that that preacher is talking about simply because they're in a position of a of a preacher or because they're a pastor and they never check it. This is why in this ministry, we 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 we, we always encourage you to take your Bibles out so you can see where we're getting the information. So, you know, that this is not stuff that that any of us are making up. It's in the word of God. And I'll share with you why that's important to bring your Bible to church and to follow along. My wife and I, we visited a church several years ago. And some of you may know this story um, going several years ago. Uh, we were on vacation and visited a church and bought my Bible and noticed that no one in the congregation had a Bible. There was not one Bible uh, behind, you know, on the back of the pews or anything like that. And uh, one of the pastors got up there and started delivering a sermon. And he said, oh, yeah, out of the book, Matthew, I forget what the chapter and verse was. He said, Matthew, so and so. And he started reading. And so I'm flipping through my Bible and I go to the to the to the scripture there and I'm looking and I'm thinking, wow, maybe I heard wrong. Maybe he didn't say Matthew. Maybe he said Mark. So I flip over to Mark chapter, whatever it was in the verse. And I'm still not seeing what this individual was talking about. And I'm like. Where, where is he getting this from? Those aren't even the same words. And if you've ever looked at various translations of the Bible, right, there's so many different versions, right? You got the King James, New King James, Amplified, uh, English Standard Version. You know, there's all these different translations out there. If you compare the words in each of the translations, you can still follow along regardless of what Bible somebody might be using. The words can, can you can kind of match up the words. This wasn't one of those situations. The, ma- the words were not matching up whatsoever. And then finally, he ended up saying, OK, uh, also in um, Mark something or other chapter, I forget the chapter, that chapter didn't even exist. It didn't even exist. And as I was flipping through the Bible, I was thinking to myself, this chapter's not even in there. It was amazing. I could feel the eyes kind of looking at me like, why do you have a Bible in here? And everybody was just sitting there, just taking it all in and agreeing with what the pastor was saying. That's why you have to go to the word of God and see if I was complacent and just believed everything that he was saying just because of his title in the church. I would not have realized that whatever he was reading was not in the word of God. It was not in there, because when I flipped to the scriptures that he that he said that he referenced, there was nothing in there, any, any, not even remotely close to what he was saying. And in the second scripture that he went to, that chapter didn't even exist in that book. So take your own ownership. Turning your Bibles now to Revelation verse, uh, Revelation chapter three. Revelation chapter three, verse 14. We're talking about we cannot get complacent. It's a dangerous thing when it comes to the things of God. We cannot be complacent. Revelation 3, verse 14. And to the angel of the church of the uh, Laodiceans write, These things says the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. 
I know your works that you are neither hot nor cold. You are, you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were cold or hot. So then because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say I am rich, have become wealthy and have need of nothing, and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind and naked, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich and white garments that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed and anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. I'm going to pause there for a second and just go back a little bit there. Verse 15, underline where it says, I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. We can't be messing around and playing church. Or playing Christian. I'm going to say it because maybe it's the popular thing to do or because it's the cool thing to do. Or because my friends and family are Christians and I really don't even go to church, but I'm going to call myself a Christian because that's all I keep hearing everybody call themselves. God knows your heart. He knows whether or not you are hot or cold. One of the reasons why people are so afraid to even have a relationship with God or even to attempt to know God is because studying the word of God and having a relationship with him doesn't just reveal who God is and his character, but it also reveals who you are and your character. And we're more afraid of our own character because it will it, it will show all of our faults. It will show our weaknesses. We all like to think that we're tough and that we're strong and we can handle things. Anytime those weaknesses get pointed out about uh, uh, pointed out about us, that's when we start to say, oh, OK, I'm not happy with who I am or I'm ashamed of the fact that I have that weakness. And so we don't even bother to try to have a relationship with God because we don't want God to reveal our true nature to us. He knows our works. He knows whether or not you are hot, you are hot, or you are cold or hot. Uh, to keep going here, um, we'll continue on to verse 16 and then we'll read the rest of the, the verses here that I want to go through. Uh, so then because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. That is a violent action. OK, that is a violent action. That is an active action where God is saying, I'm going to 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 spit you out of my mouth because you can't pick a side because you're right in the middle. So since you're in the middle, I'm just going to go ahead and, 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 and spit you out of my mouth. OK. This uh, translation I'm using the New King James uh, Bible here says vomit. Vomit is a way of your body getting rid of something that does not belong. I don't know about you. But I don't want God to ever look at me and think that I don't belong in part of the body of Christ because of because I'm being lukewarm. No. OK, that is a serious statement there. And when we start playing church and we start becoming complacent and becoming comfortable with where we are in, in, in terms of uh, of our relationship with God. That's when he then spews us out of his mouth. Verse 17, because you say I am rich, have become wealthy and have need of nothing and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind and naked. I counsel you to buy for me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich 
and white garments that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, and anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. A lot of powerful things there. We look too much at our circumstances that are around us to determine whether or not we're in a good place, whether or not we're doing well. The size of the house, the number of cars, how much money is in your bank account, your position in the workplace, how many friends you have on Facebook and Instagram and all these other social media platforms. And we look at those things and we say, because I have a lot of that, I'm doing well and I'm rich because I have a lot of money. What this is saying here is that if God has spit you out of his mouth because you're lukewarm, you haven't realized that you're not rich. You don't have all the wealth that you think you have. You're not in a good place like you think you are because you don't have God, because you don't know Jesus. And so what he's saying is, come see me. Talk to me, get to know me, because when you get to know me, I'm going to give you things that that are going to make you rich. I'm going to cover up the shame of your sin. When this is talking about the, the white garments, there's nothing if, if you wear I wear white shirts to work. Um, and I love when I, I love looking at the white shirts because they're nice and clean and they're bright white. There's nothing like a crisp white shirt. OK, and so this whole idea of having a, having white garments, it's, it's a sign of of um, uh, of purity. OK, it, it's a sign of being unblemished, being spotless. And so when you put this white garment on to cover your nakedness is what the what, what Jesus is saying here is that that white garment is, is representative of your sin being 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 gotten rid of. Because when you turn yourself, your life over to Christ, you become a new creature. You, 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 you ask God for forgiveness and repent of your sins. And when that happens, he blots out that sin. He doesn't he blocks it out of out of out of his mind. So now you become your new creation and you're and you're and you're spotless. All right. So this so this is why we, we need to make sure that we're not being lukewarm. This is why we can't become complacent in our in, in our in our walk with God in our relationship with him, because he'll also open our eyes so that we can see. There's a there's a beautiful song that we sing in Genesis one. I think the title of it was, is called Open My Eyes. But one of the lyrics is, is open my eyes, Lord. I want to see Jesus. OK. And so it, it's it, if you're following God, he will open your eyes to, to, to show you things that you would not see if you didn't know him. If you didn't know him. OK. Last week, Pastor uh, referenced the scripture, went to the scripture that was talking about how the word of God is sharpened in two edged to any two edged sword. And it gets to the, the, the cutting and separation of, of, of soul and spirit and reveals the intentions of the heart of men. When you're following God, he will give you the words and, and help reveal to you the intentions of what's going on. He will show you that there's more to, more than meets the eye to various things that happen around us. But when you're blinded and you have your eyes blinded, you don't see those things. And so you go through life and you just. You just kind of follow along with whatever's going through life. You sit in that church and your eyes are blinded to the fact that there's a pastor up there that isn't even telling you or offering a Bible for you to review, to, to, to read in his church as he's reading scriptures. 
There's a pastor up there that's just talking to you about about the things of God and you have no way of even knowing if it's, that's true because your eyes are blinded and you can't see. Hmm, there's something that might not be right here. OK. That happens when we become complacent. Verse 19, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. Okay, more powerful words there. Verse 20. Oh, let's back up to verse 19. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. We have to get to a point where the message about God is love cannot be surfaced anymore. What do I mean by that? Hearing how much God loves you, it definitely feels good. But we have to know that love does not always feel good. If you have kids, you have to correct them and punish them because you love them. You don't let them just run off and do whatever it is they want to do. You have to correct them. They don't like the feeling of being corrected. They don't like the feeling of getting in trouble. But what they understand is that you are trying to protect them. So understand that when God chastens you, okay, he's not hateful, but it's because he loves you. All right. There's too many of us that are walking around and just saying, oh, God is love. God is love. God is love. And because God is love, he'll take care of everything. And we we never get to the deeper meat of God and, and really be able to engage in spiritual warfare because we just say God is love. He'll handle this. Yes, God is love. Yes, God will handle those things. But when you start to get that deeper into the deeper meat of him, into the, the deeper knowledge of him, then you can start to engage in spiritual warfare and know how to go after uh, um, not know how to attack the enemy. How to counter his attacks and even go on the offensive as God starts to reveal to you some of the things that are happening. We don't just sit around and just say, oh, well, God is love. So he will he will get rid of this coronavirus that's in the world. We get deeper knowledge of God and understand that the coronavirus started in the spiritual. And so because it started in the spiritual, I'm going to attack in the spiritual, which means I'm going to go ahead and start binding up that spirit of coronavirus. And I'm not just going to sit back and just walk around and say, oh, yeah, this too shall pass. No, I'm going to take action. The Bible says that the effective, uh, the uh, effective fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Which means that I'm going to get down and I'm going to engage in some serious spiritual warfare and I'm going to seriously take this thing to God and I'm going to start rebuking these demons in the name of Jesus. And I'm going to ask God's healing to just cover this entire plan. I'm going to start asking God to, to and plead the blood of Jesus over myself and my family and my loved ones to keep us safe from this coronavirus. You don't get to that point and to that level of prayer and to that level of spiritual warfare by just staying on the surface and saying that God is love. You have to get deeper into that and then you understand why or you, you, you have an understanding of why God does some of the things that he does. OK. It's easy to be on fire for God when things are going well. 
But it's hard to do it when when you're in the midst of a challenge or when regular routines get interrupted as they are now. We've been used to going to church on Sunday, going to an actual physical building, but our routines have been interrupted. So now we're on a different routine. God always intended for us to get together and gather together again. Earlier, I said, Jesus said, forsake not together, forsake not the gathering together of yourselves. So God intended for us to get together and fellowship with each other as Christians. But we're in a new routine now. So when we get back to the original routine and the original intention, we cannot be complacent and just stay where we are and be comfortable with where we are. Behaving like the world is another way that we become is a way that we become complacent. Turn to first John chapter two. First John chapter two. So we've talked about the reason we've talked about the reasons why we can't be complacent. Let's look at some ways that we are complacent. First John chapter two, and we're going to go to verse 15. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the father is not in him. For all that is in the world. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away and the lust of it. He who does the will of God abides forever. If you don't have all the verses 15 through 17 underlined, go line, go ahead and underline all of that. So how do we love the world during this time of coronavirus? Okay. Well, one of the most obvious things is when you first went to the supermarket and you went back there to get something that you normally get that you never have to worry about not being there, such as toilet paper and people hoarding up all the toilet paper. What is your reaction to that? Do you then go out and start hoarding supplies? Do you start after you hoard those supplies, start marking up the price and trying to sell them to make a profit? That is part of loving the world. That is behaving like the world. When you start uh, uh, hoarding supplies because you're fearful that at the time that you're going to need that thing, that is not going to be uh, available to you. You forget that as a child of God, God is Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides. So he will provide for you. So when you start panic buying like that, you are behaving as the way the world behaves. Because we lose sight of the fact, like I said, that God is our provider. Another way we can get complacent in terms of behaving like the world is that in this time, and I've touched on this a few times already, is that we decide to stay home and not go to church when we're able to actually go to church. And when we are able to go to church, if this coronavirus thing doesn't happen, and I've seen this happen in the lives of Christians, They will say, well, the church that I'm going to, I'm not being spiritually fed, so I'm going to go to another church. I'm going to go explore some other churches. And what happens is, is they may go to that other church once, maybe twice, but their regular pattern of going to church each Sunday all of a sudden stops and it becomes more and more sporadic. And it just makes you wonder if you're not being spiritually fed at the church that you were attending And you left and you were going to try out another church. Why is it that you are not going to that church on a regular basis? 
Okay, that's behaving like the world. A true follower of God is not going to be sporadic in their attendance of church. They're going to go because they are committed to God. They are committed to hearing from him and they want to hear from him on, on every on every Sunday in church. It's not going to be, I think I will go this week, but I'm not going to go next week or the following week, or I'm only going to show up on the major holidays. That's not commitment to God. That's behaving like the world. Okay. I said earlier, too, that it's easy to listen to podcasts, but it's so much harder to get up and go and get dressed and actually drive to a service, especially if you have quite a bit of a commute to get to the church. I remember when I was a kid and we were in New York there, um, uh, we moved out to Long Island. The church was still in Queens and we were going an hour, <laughs> an hour drive going to church every Sunday, sometimes going twice, depending on what was going on that evening. All right. My parents were both active in the ministry, so there would be some things sometimes happening um, in the evening that we would have to go back for an hour. But not once did my parents ever complain. Snow, rain, sleet, hail, it didn't matter. We went every single Sunday. OK. Romans 12, 2 says, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So we can't allow ourselves at this time to be. Behaving like the world and start acting like a world, the world. I talked a little bit about this earlier in terms of ways we become complacent, but we'll talk about this a little bit more. We're going to stay here in first John chapter two. And we're going to pick up in verse 18, but we put the responsibility on others to teach us about God. Verse 18. Little children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now, many Antichrists have come. By which we know that is the that it is the last hour they went out from us, but they were not of us, for if they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out that they may be made manifest that none of us that um, that none of them were us okay difference between there verse eighteen real quick difference between antichrist and many antichrists the first antichrist that's mentioned there is the antichrist, the one that is going to uh, appear and do these miracles and have people believing that he's Jesus and that he's, he's returned. Antichrist, there's also a spirit of Antichrist and that spirit of Antichrist denies Jesus and, 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 um, uh, and denies that he is the son of God and, and that he died on the cross for our sins. And that spirit of Antichrist is active in churches today. Some of you may be thinking like, whoa, what do you, how can you say that, that, that he's active in, in, in churches today? Well, the easiest way to see it, and which is the most common way that I see it, okay, is that at the end of a prayer, the pastor does not invoke the name of Jesus. They will say, they will say something like, in your name, in his name. In your son's name. Well, as far as I'm concerned, who are you talking about? Whose son? Whose name? Why not just say the name of Jesus? And see, what happens is when that spirit of Antichrist gets in there and starts doing that and they start and, and people start delivering these, these prayers and they're not using the name of Jesus. It's happening because there is a fear that if I invoke the name of Jesus at the end of the prayer, that there's people in this congregation or people that are hearing this prayer that are going to be offended. 
Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the father except by me, which means that you cannot go to God without the authority from Jesus. So if you're going to make a prayer and not end it in the name of Jesus, you're just wasting your breath and speaking a bunch of words. It's the authority of Jesus at the end of that prayer that then God says, "Okay, you have the authority in my son's name to make this request. And because of that, I'm going to go ahead and take action. And if I'm listening to a prayer and I'm in agreement with what's in the prayer and that individual doesn't say in the name of Jesus, I will say in the name of Jesus. Amen. That's the way the spirit of Antichrist operates. Okay. Because people don't like the fact that the only way to salvation is through Jesus Christ. That's why the name of Jesus threatens so many people. Because we like to think that we're good people. Individually, I'm a good human being. I do all of this. I give to the needy. I give to the poor. I hold the door open for people. I check in on my neighbors. I don't steal. I don't break any of the Ten Commandments. I've never gotten a even a speeding ticket in my entire life. I donate time and money to, to, to quote unquote worthy causes. I do all of these things. And so because I do all of these things and I do all of these works, I am guaranteed a spot in heaven. No, you're not. You need to have Jesus as your Lord and Savior in order to get to heaven. People are threatened by that, and that's why they don't want to talk about the name of Jesus. Okay. Uh, verse 20. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all things. I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you know it and then and that no lie uh, is of the truth. Who is a liar? But he who denies that Jesus is the Christ. There you go there. Underline underline that. Who is a liar? But he who denies that Jesus is the Christ. He is an antichrist. And it's what we were talking about earlier. And he is an antichrist who denies the father and the son. Whoever denies the son does not have the father either. He who acknowledges the son has the father also. Okay. Acknowledges or confessing, confessing Jesus has the father also. Verse 24. Therefore, let that abide in you, which you heard from the beginning. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you also will abide in the son and in the father. And this is the promise that he has promised us eternal life. So if you're abiding, when you see there three times there, you see in verse 24, the word of word abide. Underline it each one of those times because abiding means that you are living. Okay, it means you're you're, you're living in you're, you're you're dwelling in there. Okay, you're not visiting. Um, the difference between earlier, as I was saying, the difference between commitment and interest. Right, abiding in the will of God, abiding in Jesus Christ means that I'm uh, uh, committed to Jesus Christ. I'm committed to following God. Interest means I'm visiting. I will visit you. When I need something. Why not talk to God when you don't need something? Why not commit to him when we don't have this pandemic? Why not commit to him when I am not needing something? Why not commit to him when I do have a job? When I do make money enough money to pay my bills? 
when I am healthy, when my family is healthy, when my kids are healthy, when all things are going right, why not commit to him then? Why wait until the bottom falls out from under us? We have to learn to commit both ways. We should be able to praise him when we're up on the rooftops, when we're up on the mountaintop flying high, and we should be able to praise him when we're down in the valley and we're feeling low. That is commitment. Okay? That is true commitment. And when you have that commitment there, and you've, and, and you've accepted Jesus, okay, and you've confessed him as your Lord and Savior, you have a promise of eternal life. Again, going back to what I was saying earlier, that promise of eternal life by accepting Jesus is why people uh, um, are threatened by the name of Jesus. They don't want to accept the fact that it doesn't matter how much good you do in life or how much good you think you're doing in life without having Jesus in your life and having him as your Lord and Savior. Your eternity in heaven is not guaranteed. Verse 26, these things I have written to you concerning those who try to deceive you, but the underline that concerning those who try to deceive you. But the anointing which you have received from him abides in you and you do not need that anyone teach you. But as the same anointing teaches, teaches you concerning all things and is true and is not a lie. And just as it has taught you, you will abide in him. And now, little children, abide in him that when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. Underline all of those scriptures there, 27 through uh, 29 there. Okay. Oh, there's some powerful stuff there. Okay. Verse 26, these things I have written to you concerning those who try to deceive you, but the anointing which you have received, um, received from him abides in you and you do not need that anyone teach you, but as the same anointing teaches you concerning all things and is true and is not a lie. And just as it has taught you, you will abide in him. So if you are committed to following God, okay? And you are keeping his statutes and you're keeping his commandments and, and, and the word of God is living in you and Jesus is living in you. That means you're living in God and you're living in his commitment, uh, in his commandments. That means that when those that come to, to try to deceive you, you will not be deceived because God will give you an anointing to be able to know the truth from a lie. That's what that is saying. But the only way you can know the truth from a lie is for you to be abiding in the will of God, to be abiding in his presence, to be to to develop that deep walk with him, not to go do it and go visit him when you feel like it. The Bible talks about sacrificial praise. Sacrificial praise means that is that tough praise that you are trying to give him when thing, when you're down and out and things aren't going your way. You got one dollar in a bank account and it's only the fifth day of the month and you get paid once a month on the first of the month and you've got all of these bills. You have no job. You're getting the last final notice in the mail saying if you don't have payment in the next two days, we're shutting off your electricity. We're shutting off your water. You get the next letter that comes in and says you missed six payments on the car. We're going to come and repo your car if we don't have payment in full by this day. That when you can get together and you praise God when you've got all of those things going on, that is sacrificial praise. 
You can only get to that if you learn to abide in God. If you allow him to abide in you. Earlier scriptures we looked at, Jesus said that, that I stand at the door and knock in Revelation. And whoever opens it, I will come into him and abide in him and he will abide in us. Understand something. When you become complacent, Jesus did not leave you. You snuck out the back door of your house as he was standing out there knocking. Jesus never leaves us. We leave him. So he's standing out there knocking. You look through your peephole and you see, oh, Jesus is there. Ooh, mm, I'm not ready for him. I'm going to sneak out this back door, go to the car that's parked down the street, go off to do whatever, and then I'll come home later. And when you come home later, Jesus is still out there knocking. You think he didn't see you, but he did see you. Okay, we saw that God said, I know your works and I know whether or not you're hot or cold. We make the choice to walk away from God. He doesn't make the choice to walk away from us. He wants that relationship with us. So when we become complacent, what we basically said is, Jesus, thanks for showing up to the door. Thanks for coming in and spending this time today. But uh, time for you to go. And I know you're going to send out there and knock. So I'm going to just close the door as I push you out, close it and lock it. And you can just knock on there for the next however long. And at some point I'll let you in. That's what we're saying when we become complacent. We don't want God living with us anymore. We want him to stand outside and we'll let him in when we feel like letting him in. Okay. And in verse 28 there, uh, and now little children abide in him that when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. So when we allow God, God's will to overtake us, when we allow God's presence to constantly be around us, when we make that commitment and we don't allow ourselves to become complacent when it comes to the things of God, when we stand before him on judgment day, we won't be ashamed. We won't be ashamed because we made the choice to commit to him. Okay. Last couple of scriptures here. We also become complacent when we decide to change the meaning of God's word to fit our lifestyles. Go to Galatians 1 1. Praise the living God. When we decide to change the word of God and the, and the meaning of the word of God to fit our lifestyles. It leads us to become complacent. Galatians 1 1 Paul, an apostle, not from men, nor through man, but through the Je uh, through Jesus Christ and God, the father who raised him from the dead and all the brethren who are with me to the churches of Galatia. Grace to you and peace from God, the father and our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil age, according to the will of our God and father to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you the grace of called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another. But there are some who trouble you and want to, per, to per, pervert you uh, to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even we or even but if but even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you other than uh, preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you. Let him be accursed. As we have said before. So now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you, than what you have, you, you then what you have received, let him be accursed for do for do I now persuade men or God or do I seek to please men 
For if I still please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. Underline verse 10 there. For, for do I now persuade men or God, or do I seek to please men? For if I pleased men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. Okay, so many things there. Um, looking at uh, uh, verse six there, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ. There are many Christians that have um, grown up in, in, in you know, in, in, a, in a Christ filled household have been the church, you know, have practiced the things that they've heard about the truth in the Bible and have had successes in their lives and overcome challenges. It's amazing how many can turn away so quickly by a perverse word. Okay. Understand that there are, and the Bible talks about there are false prophets that will come and that are now have already come. And all they are wanting to do is to turn you away from the truth. They want to turn you away from the things that the Bible is talking about. It's talking about. Some of them are doing it purposely and some of them do it because they don't have the spirit of God in them to, uh, to, to be able to teach the Bible. Okay. In terms of, um, uh, having Holy Spirit revelation into, into what, the, to what the words are saying and to what God is trying to say. And so they are all desires to go ahead and pervert as many people as they can to twist the word of God. You have some pastors that do this purposely because they're worried about the numbers of people that are sitting in the pews. Okay. Earlier when I was talking about how not using the name of Jesus at the end of a prayer because they're worried that the pews are going to start to be empty. So I'm not going to use the name of Jesus. I'm not going to get to the meat, th meat meteor things of God and I'm just going to keep it at the surface. God is love. God is love. God is love. Because if I start talking about binding and loosening in the spirit world and rebuking the spirit of coronavirus, people are going to start flocking out. Oh, no. Whoa. He's crazy. Something's wrong with him. But I start talking about how the enemy likes to attack and I start talking about demons. Oh, people start leaving, leaving the church. OK, so instead they don't go to that level of, of God. Because one, they're not there themselves, but two, because they don't want to offend somebody. Whenever you take the word of God and you change it in a way or try to interpret it in a way that's going to fit your lifestyle, you have become complacent. As I said earlier, following God and having that relationship with him doesn't just reveal the character of God, but it reveals your own character as well. And when your own character starts to get revealed, the true character of, 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 of who you are starts to be revealed when you're not when you're not saved. As you start to see that, that's when that shame and that guilt starts to come in. And so the devil will sit there and start to shame you and, and guilt you um, into saying that you, you're a horrible person and you're all of these things and that God doesn't love you and God hates you and, and all of that. And you start believing that. And so since you believe it, you don't then turn your life over to God and you just say, I I'm a failure anyway. God doesn't like me. God doesn't love me. He hates me. Why should I have a relationship with him? We cannot become complacent and allow the devil to do that. We have to be able to know when someone is trying to deceive us. But that only happens if we show a full commitment to God that if we do what we what we what we read about in, in early in Deuteronomy about loving the Lord your God with all your heart with all your mind and with all your strength 
That's the only way we can keep ourselves from being persuaded elsewise or being persuaded away from the gospel of Christ. I've seen Christians on, and there's so many different social media platforms out there, I can't keep track of all of them. But there are some that will pass along scriptures on social media with the wrong interpretation. Okay. They'll put something out there and they'll say, oh, yeah, this means blah, 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 blah. And you look at that and you say, where do you get that from? Well, that's a perverse word. They allowed it. They allowed themselves to be deceived. Okay. Or I saw something that was that was that was on social media and I'm not going to obviously repeat what was in there. Uh, and I don't know who started it or anything like that, but, you know, uh, on um, uh, on these social media platforms, you know, if somebody puts the link up there. You can click on the link and see all the people that commented on it. And even if they're, you know, not your friends or anything like that, you can see it. But there's this image that was getting passed around social media with a person with their hands together as they were praying. And I think they had a mask on. I, I don't recall. Um, and, it, and, and it said something to the effect of, dear God, please let me live long enough uh, to, you know, vote the president out of office except they referred to the president as a four as a four letter word and it was amazing to me not to just see how someone could take something that is so precious to us Christians and so precious to God in terms of prayer and start throwing profanity in there because they don't like the individual that is in the White House they don't like the president but then also to see how many people responded to that and said, amen. And people even saying, yes, in Jesus name. And I was shocked when I saw this and I thought to myself, what are you looking at? How could you call yourself a Christian and condone some kind of message? Now, I don't now This is not a political statement because I don't care what you think about any president that's ever been in a White House or the current president or anything like that. The fact of the matter is, is here you've got this message that takes something that is precious as prayer and something that we use as Christians to get us through difficult times, something that God holds near and dear to his heart. And you throw this profanity in there and then you sit there and you say, oh, yes, in the name of Jesus. Yes. Amen. Amen. And all of these things to that. And the whole uh, the whole idea of the uh, uh, of the image was uh, um, uh, uh, praying so that, you know, praying that that you make it through the coronavirus until November when the elections happen. And I looked at that and I thought to myself, I, I can't believe there's so many Christians that would look at this and actually like that kind of filth. And that happens quite often because we want to take God's word to fit our lifestyles instead of taking our lifestyles to fit God's and changing it to fit God's word. Okay. When you become complacent, you don't want to change about yourself. Anything about yourself. You want everything else around you to change. You justify your own actions because your own actions don't agree with the world that's around you. And so with every so everybody else needs to change. Everything else needs to change. God needs to be more acceptance of sin. 
We need to pass laws that 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 um uh, uh that, that 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 normally would not be passed and and make things legal that are now illegal because everybody's doing it. So we might as well just legalize it. Everybody's doing it. Yeah, it's wrong to kill, but we might as well legalize abortion. I know the Bible says thou shalt not commit murder, but we should legalize abortion because people are doing it anyway. You might as well make it illegal. I mean, you might as well make it legal. Well, if the word of God says thou shalt not commit murder. And you back abortion and you make that legal. But you agree that it's not okay to murder. What you just signed into law is saying that it is okay to commit murder because you just you just committed murder on a baby. And I'm not going to get too much into that because that in and of itself could be a sermon. And I keep you keep you on this podcast for, 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 you know, the next five or six hours talking about the all sorts of evil that goes along with abortion. OK, but we become complacent when we change the meaning of God's words to fit our lifestyles. So we should change our lifestyles instead to fit God's word. The very last scripture here, Romans 13, uh, verse 11. Praise God. Romans 13, verse 11. And do this knowing the time that now it is uh, knowing the time that now is it is high time to awake out of sleep. Underline that to awake out of sleep. For now, our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in uh, revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. That is a call to action. That is a call to action. Now is the time to put on the armor of light. Now is the time to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Now is the time to put away fleshly desires. To put away the things that the world would do and to start doing the things of God. Now is the time. Like we heard in the song at the beginning of this. Do not wait until tomorrow. Do not wait till tomorrow. Do not say I will do this tomorrow. Do it today. Do it now, because tomorrow isn't promised. And I don't not trying to scare anybody, but if you look at the stats of how many people have died in such a short amount of time from this coronavirus. That should be a huge wake up call. That should be a huge wake up call. It should also be a wake up call, not only for us to get in line, to, 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 to get it together and commit to God, but it should also be a wake up call that we can't allow ourselves to get complacent when things are going good, that we need to keep that commitment to God 24 seven. Amen. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I just pray for everyone that has heard this message, Lord, and I ask that you would give us the words from this message to share with other people. Give us the strength, Lord, to stay committed to you. 
no matter what's going on, no matter how good we might have and no matter how bad it might be. Help us to stay committed to you. Give us the strength. Give us the strength to fight off attacks of the of the of the evil one. Give us the strength to fight fight off the lust of the flesh and to fight off anything that would pull us away from you, Lord. Keep us safe in these times of the coronavirus, Lord. Continue to watch over us. Continue to keep nurses safe, Lord. Continue to guide them. And, th- and we thank you for them as they continue to do your work in the hospitals to try to keep everybody safe. We praise you, Lord. We love you. And I thank you for this message. In the mighty name of Jesus Christ, amen. Well, I pray that this message has been a blessing to you. And until next time, I pray that you go in peace and strength and that you stay safe out there. And God bless you all.